what was one big thing that you can look back and go, man, if that never happened, I don't know where I'd be because that just changed everything. I think, I, you know, I've said it over and over again. I think, I think the call that I made to Adam to get a business mentor who was somebody not necessarily light years ahead of me, but somebody who was ahead of me on the path um, yeah. and really start thinking about things from a marketing standpoint was, was the big, the big turning point. Well, hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Rock Your Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Boker, a serial entrepreneur on a mission to help you. This show is designed to teach you, to inspire you, to motivate you, to take massive action and build a future-proof business. So whether you're just starting out or taking your existing business to the next level, this is your home. Now, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's rock your brand. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am fired up because I'm going to share with you our next guest interview who I am super excited to introduce you to and what an amazing story. And if you are just tuning in, on Wednesdays, I am going to be doing interviews just like today's where I am sharing them so you can learn through their experience and how they've built a brand, but also how they've overcome challenges and failures. Well, today's guest had his share of those. His name is Colin Costello. Now, I was introduced to him by my son, who's 22, and he's super, super passionate about basketball. He has been ever since he was playing in the church league uh, way back in the day and went through a high school, even redshirted in college, and then now he's turned his focus on coaching. And also, he's a uh, uh, actually majoring in physical education. So, he wants to be a coach. He also wants to be a trainer. He's actually doing some vertical jump training and such. But he actually introduced me to Colin. And he said, Dad, you got to have him on. He's really just out there providing such great value. And it seems like he's built a pretty good business around it. He's actually now connecting with NBA players and just some really high-level people. I think he'd be really good for your show. So I said, hey, reach out to him and see if he'd want to come on the show. Well, he reached out to him and uh, he said, I'd love to come on the show. So that's how I got introduced to him. So see how it happens. Sometimes we just need to see in our own world, someone that is, you know, affecting someone else's life, like my son's in a positive way, but it's really also in the business realm because I love seeing people on how they've went from him. In his case, he was a school teacher, which is actually the direction my son is going in right now but also how he turned that into a really sizable company called Shop Mechanics. And uh, he has a really, really popular and well-known YouTube channel with 901,000 at the time of recording this subscribers and over multiple uh, millions of views on videos. So sometimes you hear of people, they, they hit like one video that got a million views. No, he's got like... I don't know, like 10 or 12 or maybe even more. He's got a few that are over 3 million views and uh, just crushing it. Now, with that all being said, he also talks about, well, just because you see a lot of views doesn't mean you can make a lot of money, all right? And he shares how he created his first product and how it flopped and why it flopped and how he learned. He also shares with us how one, one outreach that he did changed everything for him. I asked my interview guests 
I ask them all the time, what are your take action moments? You guys know I wrote a book called The Take Action Effect, and it's all about take action moments. What's that one moment that changed something for you forever, that if you didn't do that one thing, your life wouldn't be where it is? We always uncover them in these these interview guests that I have on. So we are going to dig into that. You're going to be blown away at this interview, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Now, if you want the show notes, the transcripts to this episode, this is episode 831. So you can just head on over to brandcreators.com forward slash 831, and you're going to be able to hear again exactly how he was able to go from a school teacher to where he started a YouTube channel, and then from there, he's grown it, and now he's got some amazing opportunities that are coming his way, but because... He took action. All right. So guys, sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with my new friend, Colin Costello. Well, hey, Colin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, man? Good to finally get to meet you. Heard a lot about you. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well, you know, hunkered down trying to uh, avoid this virus at the current moment. (laughs) So working from home, but uh, you know, other than that, doing fantastic. Yeah. That's gotta be a little, little bit difficult for you because you're used to being in the gym. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Normally a lot of gym time. Uh, you know, I've got an office here that I, that I go to most of the time as well. So it's definitely a little bit different. I've definitely put on, you know, the quarantine 10, at least I'm trying to stay away from the 15. So yeah. <laughs> the sooner I can get back in the gym, the better. No, I, I hear you, man. It's, it's been tough. Uh, you know, working from home is, is great and all, but you know, there's something about that interaction with people and stuff. And when your business kind of revolves around that, I know you, uh, you know, you do a little bit more interacting than I probably do. Cause you are like, you know, you're, you're in the gym with people and you're, you're kind of doing that stuff and even in your training, but, uh, really glad to get you on. And actually I discovered you from my son, who's 22 years old, who played, he played hoops in, in, uh, in school. He was going to go college. He, he actually played one year red shirt. And then he found out, he's just like, you know what? He already discovered. He's like, I, I just don't think I want to go down this road. I'd rather coach. I'd rather, you know, help other kids. And, um, he just wasn't into it. So, uh, He's going to a university now. He's almost uh, finished up. I think he's got one more semester, and then uh, he'll be going down the, the teaching route, but hopefully the coaching and, and training route, kind of like the similar path that you went down, and I think it's going to be interesting to dig into your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Colin. How'd you even, how'd you even get to where like, you were able to be a teacher? Let's kind of go there first. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of, it's been a winding road for me. So, you know, the, the path to education where I started out was, Um, you know, kind of a a last second decision. So I went through college, I was a fine arts major, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I went to Washington State University um, Mm. because my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and then also my two best friends went there. um, And they had on their website, it said that they had an industrial design degree. And I was like, I want to design sneakers. I want to get into apparel design. Um, So I went there for that. And then lo and behold, they did not have that degree. It was just on their website. So just kind of floated through college, not really knowing what I wanted to do, just pretty much loving basketball, playing hoops, you know, kind of doing that sort of stuff. Um, And then so it kind of got to the end of the road and I was like, I got to figure out something I can do with this now. Um, And so my mom's an elementary education professor um, in college and my dad was a art teacher when he kind of first started out his um, professional career. He's now an architect, but Um, so I was like, Hey, I guess I'll, I guess I'll be an art teacher. Like I kind of already know how to teach, you know, I've been around it my whole life. So, um, you know, I'll kind of move that direction and and start out in the art teaching realm. Um, I always like to say I was by far the worst actual artist of art (laughs) teachers, probably on the planet. Not that great. So that's kind of how I jumped in. It was kind of got to the end of the road and needed to pick something and Mm. like kids like being creative or, you know, like being creative. And so kind of jump both feet in. 
Wow, that's interesting. So, and I hear that a lot. And it was funny, I, I heard someone the other day, they're like, they were 17 or 18 years old. And they're just like, I don't know what I want to do. And you're forced to almost figure out what you want to do before you've ever even experienced anything. Yeah. It's like crazy, right? Like, um, but I always tell anyone, like, I've got three kids. I've got a 12-year-old. I've got a 22-year-old, Scotty, who you know, and then a 24-year-old who's about ready to have her first baby. So I've got, I've, I've been down, down the road, but like, so my, my daughter, I wasn't, I, I didn't go to college. I never spent a day in college. Um, and at, for the longest time, I was always feeling like, you know, like I wasn't smart enough or it just wasn't an opportunity for me, but I didn't want to, I didn't want my kids to go down that road. Cause I thought they had to, in order to be successful, which mm -hmm. we all know is not hundred percent accurate, but if the career lends itself to it, you gotta, right. You gotta go to school. Um, so I never pushed it on, on anyone. So how was that for your, your parents? Were they pushing you in the, in the educational space or were they just like, you got to pick something? Yeah, you know, they were really supportive. You know, my mom being an elementary education professor had, had kind of always known that it was something that I'd be really good at. Um, mm. So she was pretty jacked for it. You know, my dad who started out as an art teacher as well was kind of like, hey, there's nothing wrong with doing it for as long as you want to do it. And then, you know, if there's other yeah. passions or other interests you want to chase, you know, more power to you. So um, they were both super, you know, super supportive and, um, you know, kind of going down the same path that, that both of them had gone. You know, my dad was an art teacher for, I think, five years, maybe four. Um, okay. And then ended up going back to school to be an architect after that. So, you know, they were very much in kind of the progressive mindset of, hey, what you do right out of college isn't necessarily the same thing that you need to do for the rest of your life. Um, mm. You know, so the way we kind of looked at it was like, hey, this is kind of, you know, a little bit of a debt to society you can pay, you know, help shape a few of the, the you know, kind of next generation of youth until you kind of figure out what the next thing that you want to do is. Mm. That's interesting. You got supportive parents. A lot, a lot of parents want you to pick that degree. And they yeah. want you to, and obviously when you pick that degree and depending on how much you spend on the degree, it's like, you need to like make that work. Right. For sure. For sure. I got very supportive parents. Shouts to Greg and Shauna. <laughs> awesome. Awesome jobs. Awesome job. Love that. And, uh, okay. So let's talk about, so you, you do that, you, you, you get a job. So how was that? How was it easy getting a job as soon as you got out of school? Like give us a little bit of that. And then let's talk about that. And then how that led you into now having like almost a million subscribers on YouTube. We'll, we'll get there, but let's just yeah. kind of lead people down that path. For sure. So I graduated from school, I believe in 2008. And then I ended up finishing my teaching certificate at 2009. So I came out right pretty much in like the crash of the economy and, and Ooh, yeah. all that stuff back in back when, you know, kind of the housing market blew out and all that stuff. So oh, yeah. there were not a lot of job options. So originally we had planned to move to Southern California. My wife had had an internship there in college um, that, you know, we were planning to go back down that direction. I applied for a few art jobs down there and got a thanks but no thanks letter from the first three. And all of them said like, hey, thanks. Seemed like a great applicant, but we've got, you know, 300 plus qualified applicants for the job. Wow. And it was like, well, mm -hmm. if there's 300 qualified art teachers just floating around Los Angeles in the greater area, like the pretty much no shot at that. And so then at that point it became, hey, let's just get a job. And because, you know, an art teacher is a little bit, a little bit more niche of a job than my wife was in PR and communications. It was like, we'll just go wherever I get a job and then you can find one too. Um, so we ended up moving to Boise, Idaho. Um, oh, wow. I got a job at a small school district called Notice School District, which is outside of Boise. And it's got about 150 kids, grade seven through 12. So very rural um, okay. you know, school district. So I was teaching uh, K through 12 art. So you know, part of the day I'd have second graders, part of the day I'd have seniors and, and you know, oh, wow. in between. So that was kind of how we ended up in Boise and where I got my first job. Literally, I applied for, I wanna say 25 jobs kind of at the end of graduation slash into the summer, 
Um, and I got one interview. That was the one at notice. And luckily that was the one I got. <laughs> so wow. it, we didn't have a whole lot of options. So on we, on we packed up the U-Haul and moved to Boise. Oh, wow. That's now where do your parents live? So they live in, in Clarkson, Washington, which is kind of Eastern Washington on the right on the okay. Washington, Idaho border. Um, so if you know where like Spokane, Washington is, yep. it's about two hours south of there. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, okay. So you, you, again, I think a perfect lesson for people is like you put out 25 applicants and, you know, praying to get one. <laughs> and I think it goes in anything in business or anything in life. It's like, you know, a lot of times you got to put some things out there in order for something to grab. And uh, I think you can probably attest to that even when we start digging into like the YouTube side of things and even just your connections. I mean, you're connected like crazy from what I've seen from afar. I want to dig into that because I think your network is your net worth. I really, truly yeah. do. I mean, the people that you can get connected with, and I've taught that to my son and I teach it to people that listen, it's like, man, if you just really just focus on giving value and building relationships, man, they'll, they'll take you, they'll open the doors for you. Mm -hmm. So many people want the money first before they're willing to put in the work. So it seems like you've followed that similar path. So let's, let's talk about that. So you're, you're teaching, are you thinking at this point when you're teaching, like, this is going to be something I'm going to do for a while, or is it like just going to fill in the void for now? And you know that there's still something out there that maybe you might want to do, but you're just not sure yet. Yeah. You know, I didn't have an end game in mind. It was the type of thing where like, I could see myself being a career teacher if that's what it lended to. Okay. Um, I do come from a long line of dreamers and entrepreneurs. So I had a feeling that it probably wasn't going to be a forever job. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at the core of it, I wanted to make basketball my career in one way or another. So it was kind of like, hey, do I teach and go down the high school coaching route? Is mm -hmm. it do I go back to college and become a grad assistant to try to do the college coaching thing? Um, I've got a couple of buddies that have done the, you know, we're, we're going down the grad assistant route that were a little bit older than me. And it just seemed like a very unstable environment to try to raise a family in, you know, job security is virtually nothing. You know, all my buddies were moving around city to city, you know, kind of moving their young kids and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, basically at that point, it was kind of like, I wanted to make basketball a job, but it was, how do I make basketball a job? And that's kind of mm -hmm. where the YouTube stuff actually ended up being born was I have a little bit of a background in graphic design, website building, that sort of stuff. And so it was basically like, Hey, I'm going to start kind of doing the basketball stuff online. And this was, you know, circa 2011, I think when I officially started the mm -hmm. company where online basketball training was like not really existent at the time. So mm. it was kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to do some stuff on the side, put some videos online, you know, kind of see what happens. But um, yeah, teaching was never really the, the full long-term plan, but I also wasn't against it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, it, it's very interesting. Uh, you, I, I, I like it that you said you came, you, you come from a, a long line of, of dreamers. I think that's even entrepreneurship, but dreamers, it's like they, they want something more they want. And I love that. I think when we can embrace like dreaming and then also like what's stopping, what's stopping you from getting that? Uh, actually we're watching, uh, the, the, um, the Jordan, uh, thing oh, yeah. right now on TV. It's awesome. Um, and it just goes to show you like, you know, guy was relentless. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he didn't, you know, he didn't take no for an answer or he didn't take that last shot for like, oh, it's not going to fall. I'm just going to go harder next time or I'm going to practice harder. And I think it goes with anything. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the dreaming thing because I think if we dream it, we can get it if we want it bad enough. I mean, yeah. simple as that. So, okay, let's, let's get into, you start the YouTube stuff. When did you start to say, wow, I'm starting to get something here. I'm starting to get some traction on this. Maybe I should. And so what... Because a lot of people can start on YouTube, even today, 
And I, I would love to hear your thoughts on people starting today on YouTube and try to help the listener that might be thinking of that. Because we talk a lot about content creation. I mean, heck, we're creating a content piece right now. We're on the podcast. It's going to air on YouTube. It's going to air on uh, the podcast, on iTunes and Stitcher and all those channels. Um, so I do want people to understand uh, content creation. But what was, the, what was the moment for you that you were like, this is starting to turn into something or I'm le at least I'm starting to get some attention. I'm starting to get some eyeballs. When did that hit? Was it a month after? Was it a year after? Was it three years after? Let us know a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, what I'll actually do is I'll backtrack just a little bit from that point because sure. there's a, there's a really valuable story in, in kind of how the YouTube channel came about. So basically mm. when I started uh, the company shop mechanics, it was basically like, you know, Hey, I wanted to build this website. And I was way ahead of the game. I wanted to do a membership website where there was these different tiers. So you had a bronze tier, silver tier, all that sort of stuff. And so I went out and I shot, I had like 170 videos that I shot, different drills, different workouts, different breakdowns, shot this massive list, put a ton of time and energy into it, you know, spent my life savings on with the little life savings we had, you know, fresh out of college and as a teacher, um, building this website, paying web developers, which back in 2011, 2012 was really expensive. There was no Squarespace mm. with built-in plugins mm. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I spent yeah. about 10 grand on equipment, website, wow. kind of all that stuff to build it. Um, and didn't really think about like how people were going to get there. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I was just like, Hey, you just build something on the internet and people show up to it. Like that's how yeah. the internet works. Right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I spent <laughs> all this money all this time. Like it probably took five or six months to like build the whole thing out. You know, I'm teaching, I'm coming home, I'm working afterwards, waking up it. So I had about a 45 to like a 50 minute commute out to school. So pretty okay. much it was like, wake up, work on it in the morning, teach, come home, work on it in the afternoon, built this website out. It was kind of a piece of crap and launched it to crickets. Like, oh yeah, literally nobody's coming. Cause I had no, I had no plan how to get people there. Social media wasn't a thing really, you know, like Facebook was kind of around, but, and so basically it was kind of like, oh, like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Got pretty down and ended up for the next probably like six or seven months. I focused a lot more on my house remodel than I did on the actual business. <laughs> um, so it was like, all right. So I, I switched out like 18 windows and doors in the house that we had just bought and front oh, uh, nice. yard remodel, backyard remodel, kind of put it on the back burner. Didn't really think about it. Um, then as we kind of rolled into the next year, this is where kind of the YouTube stuff started, where we started to gain some ground was I was like, well, I have all these videos. YouTube was starting to pick up more steam and I was kind of like, I'm just going to kind of drip them out onto YouTube and kind of see what happens. And so I ended up doing two things because of this that really helped the growth on YouTube that I think a lot of people miss. Number mm -hmm. one, because I had bat shot a ton of content, I was able to bust through the, like this sucks phase where you're getting three views, 12 mm -hmm. views, 11 views. And you're kind of like, man, I just spent five hours on this video and I got seven views. Like this is terrible. And you do that. Yeah. For most creators, they do that like three or four, five, seven, 10, 12 times. And they're like, this, this is never going to get any traction. I'm done wasting mm -hmm. five hours on this video to only get 12 views or whatever. So the failed website actually helped me a ton because I had this massive catalog mm -hmm. that then I was able to put on YouTube that I'd already made. So it wasn't like I kind of busted through that normal quitting phase when most people would because I already mm -hmm. had done the work at the start. Um, so first and foremost, I got really fortunate of that because, you know, I'm a super persistent guy. I'm a really hard worker, but I'm not 100% sure I would have busted through it if I wouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, um, yeah. So the other piece that was really fortunate was I didn't throw everything up at one time. I see a lot of content creators do that where they have a big batch of content, a big batch of stuff, and they'll just like blitz their YouTube channel with it when they want to mm. start it. They'll put up, you know, 30 pieces of content all at one time. 
but instead of kind of dripping that content out to build the audience as you go. So that's one thing that we did that worked out really well was instead of just throwing all 150 videos up on YouTube, I put, you know, two out a week consistently and kind of continued to grow at that point. So, you know, it started out pretty slow. Once I started putting videos on YouTube, it was kind of, you know, probably a six, I'd say like a six or a seven month span where it started to kind of get a little bit of traction. You know, I hit it at the right time where YouTube was just starting to grow. I was one of probably, uh, probably three basketball channels that were actually doing kind of basketball educational content. So really there wasn't a ton of, you know, there weren't a ton of people in the market to compete with. Sure. Um, and so really I would say probably about six months in was when we were like, Hey, we got something here. We were kind of up to that 30,000 subscriber mark, you know, was starting to get, you know, pretty good viewership on the videos consistently. Um, so it was about, it was about six months of like dedicated work. Um, once we really started kind of going on YouTube. So let me ask you this. Uh, so a lot of stuff has changed since you've posted and I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and I'll even tell you some of my frustrations with YouTube and maybe you can help me out here. A lot of frustrations. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, so when you're posting, uh, your videos, even, even back then, were you familiar with any type of SEO optimization, any of that stuff, or were you just winging it at the time? And then you're like, Oh, I should probably try to see how I can get more viewers. Like when did it start to become more strategic versus just, I'm going to throw some videos up there and see what happens. Yeah. So I would say it was kind of like, it was kind of just a general or kind of a gradual transition. So mm -hmm. it started out, I was just kind of throwing them up there. I didn't know anything about tagging, titling, whatever. And then as I started to get a little traction on some, I kind of got a little bit obsessed with it and started doing more like a kind of diving on the SEO and the tagging and the strategies you can use with it and that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, and this was back in a, in kind of, I call it the golden age of YouTube where you could grow a channel pretty fast by, I don't want to say gaming the search results, but kind of doing yeah. backwards design via the search yep. results to get your video in front of people. So mm -hmm. when we really kind of started growing the channel a ton, I'd say about 85 to 90% of our traffic came from search results. And then, you know, about 10 to 5% came from suggested videos or something like that. Um, mm. Because we're an educational how-to channel, it makes sense. If somebody wants to learn how to shoot a basketball, they're probably going to find you by searching, how do you shoot a basketball, right? Sure, um, sure. And so that's kind of where we started out from. And so it was definitely kind of gradual. Didn't, didn't have any clue at the start, but as we started to get more traction, it was kind of, okay, oh, now we can make a series that fits this search result, or we can make a, you know, two or three video series that fits that search result. So mm -hmm. um, it became much more strategic after that. And that's where we really started to see the boom take off was in that kind of, um, you know, once we kind of focused on the SEO and the tagging and, and all those strategies. Right. So again, you, you're learning from your data, you know, you're having your data come in, it's kind of telling you what's starting to resonate from those, you start building out little mini series of some kind to keep people on your channel and, and all of that stuff, uh, which we all know is really good for YouTube. So, but what I'm hearing is, you know, number one, you built a website wanting people to come and found out later, I think I wasted a bunch of time, <laughs> but then you were, but then you were able to turn that into content that you could drip out on YouTube and repurpose it in a sense um, to get yourself uh, some attention. So, okay, that's great. We got attention. When do we start being able to see a way to monetize? Because a lot of people can get attention, but how do we monetize? And we're, you know, we can monetize with, you know, YouTube earnings and stuff like that, but we all know that's not like game changing hundred percent money for everyone to support it. When did you start to be able to see opportunities that you could start to leverage? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic question and another fantastic story to go with it. So, um, so when I got around that 30,000 subscriber mark, I was like, I think there's a way to make some money here. And I'd seen people selling mm -hmm. vertical jump training, some other yeah. basketball programs in the space. I was like, I'm going to make training programs. Like yeah. 
yeah. you know, Hey, I've got 30,000 people that said, yes, I like your videos. I was like, if I can make a virtual training for 99 cents and I can get 10,000 of my viewers to buy it, I'm like rich. Right. Cause I'm coming from <laughs> right. teacher money. Like, right. I don't know, you know, starting teacher money is like real low teacher money. Yeah. Um, and so I was basically like, Hey, if I can just get like 10,000 people to buy it, this is going to be huge. So hmm. I made it, I made a product called the 10 minute shooting trainer, which was basically like a timed workout where you press play, you put the phone down on the baseline. I mean, this was like 2012, 13, somewhere around there. So a little bit ahead of the uh, ahead of the game as far as virtual training is concerned. Yeah. Um, and it was really good. It was a good product. Like the value for 99 cents was insane because I figured like if I can make this thing that's awesome and make it only a dollar, like you'd have to be an idiot not to buy it, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. So I put it out there. I put it as like an advertisement on the front of my videos. It actually is the advertisement on, I think it's now my... It was my biggest viewed video or my most successful video for years and years and years. And another one just passed it, but it was on a Steph Curry shooting secrets video. Okay. So if you still watch that video to this day, it says 10 minute shooting trainer, grab okay. a link description, all that sort of jazz. And so I ran this thing and I promoted it for about two weeks, 99 cents. Guess how many copies I sold? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm afraid to ask. Seven. I sold seven. seven Seven copies on a video that now has, I think, oh three point three point or two point nine million views. That's Seven copies. insane. Yeah, and so I got wow. really deflated because I was like, mm. I've got thirty thousand people. This video yeah. that it's on is banging, and people yeah. still buying it, and it's a fantastic value. And so I got I got pretty wow. down, um, and I was kind of like, man, like I don't know if there's any way to monetize this. If you can't monetize thirty thousand people with ninety nine cents, like I don't know what you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I ended up, you know, I was still kind of dripping out videos, doing that sort of stuff. And really was kind of like, I think I'm going to have to find out a different career because from a monetization standpoint, this probably yeah. just isn't going to make sense. Yeah, um, so I, I kind of let it sit for a little while. I was still dripping out videos. And then I was noticing the, one of the other basketball channels that was growing pretty much at the same time as me was a channel called I Love Basketball TV. Um, mm -hmm. And they were running programs and it seemed like they were doing pretty successful. I've seen a lot of people in the comments like, hey, I just picked up the program. You know, mm -hmm. they were seeing like they were, they were having a lot of success. Um, but the one thing about them was all their stuff looked kind of crappy. Like the, the mm -hmm. quality looked crappy. The graphics weren't they're very good. And so because that's where my background came from, I was like, I'm going to reach out and see if I can, you know, trade some services for help or something. Maybe there's a way I can get under their umbrella. I don't know. I'm going to see. So I reached out to them. Um, and a guy named Adam Lincolnager is, is the founder and the guy who started I Love Basketball TV. Um, and he got started in the vertical jump training niche. So he's like okay. a ACC high jump champion um, uh -huh. and then did vertical jump training. He was kind of the first guy to do it um, okay. as far as like informational product goes. So I reached out to them. Adam got back to me and was very interested in the, you know, kind of graphic stuff that I could provide. And so basically we kind of figured out a, hey, we'll help you, you help us. So he ended up becoming my business mentor, taking a small percentage of the company um, wow. to then essentially kind of help us, which was at the time was really cool because I mean, they were essentially direct competition. We were kind of at this point on YouTube, we we're the only two channels really growing. Um, mm. We were growing about the same rate. They were growing a little bit faster than me, um, mm. but they were actually monetizing their audience. So basically what we did was I helped them out. I made some graphics. I flew out to Virginia where he was at. Um, we shot some new product, which was the same, but kind of from a marketing standpoint, tweaked a little bit. Um, and then they helped me get the right processes in place, right? You know, kind of mm. the stuff that's kind of, you know, uh, no brainer stuff that people are doing now. They helped yeah. me kind of institute back in 2012, 2013. So mm. I ended up relaunching my first product um, called the Automatic Shooting System, which was kind of like the 10-minute shooting trainer, but just preface different, kind of position different in the marketplace. This time I came correct with sales pages, uh, mm. you know, promo videos, 
uh, email, lead capture, all that sort of stuff. Um, and ended up doing $10,000 in the first month of relaunch awesome. um, yeah. from that. Nice. And so yeah. for me, the big takeaway was the power is in the process, not necessarily the product. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of times, especially in online marketing and online, you know, informational products and sales, a lot of people just think, hey, this is a great product. People are going to love it. Like, why wouldn't they buy it? But yeah. the marketing and the, and, the, and the, you know, the path that you lead people down is so important because it makes all the difference. It's the difference between literally $7 and $10,000. And so at that point in time, so I think we launched that in June. Um, and so on, I think it was like June 12th, I, I called my superintendent was like, hey man, not coming back. <laughs> I wanna fill the wow. position. So um, basically grinded real hard for the rest of the summer and, and wow. the rest was history there. Yeah, nice. Um, now, so on that product, uh, and I'm just curious, cause I mean, I, I came through the system was back in 2004 is when I got introduced to all of this. And uh, Jeff Walker from Product Launch Forum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who actually is a mentor of mine, but I also met him in uh, Puerto Rico last year. Uh, was at a, a great mastermind. Uh, it's a brilliant guy, but it was just awesome to pay tribute to him. But he was the reason why I started going down the Product Launch Formula route. Now, we've all, all kind of adopted different ways and all of this stuff. The bottom line is what I've taken away through the years, and I'm sure you have now as well, is like, you can guess what people want, but until they vote with their wallet, you really don't know if they're going to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so you can build a product and think it's the best and think that's what they need. But if it's not what they want and what they think they need, they're not going to buy it. I also believe that leading people down a path of, of, uh, you know, basically throwing the scarcity in there that you're going to have it for a certain amount of time open at this price or you're going to have this bonus or any of that stuff. This stuff works. I mean, it works for me, right? I mean, my wife will go to Kohl's when you can actually go shopping right now. We can't. She'd go to Kohl's and she'd get $10 Kohl's cash and it's going to expire and, you know, it's a rush at the last day because you're going to lose your $10. It's the scarcity mindset. Something's going to go away. Um, The buildup of it, um, exclusivity of it, all of that stuff. Um, and the one thing that I've done after the fact, and I'm, maybe you've done this as well, I generally will do a beta launch. Mm-hmm. So I do a beta launch. Where I'm like, there's 50 spots. We did this with a, a training we called 1K Fast Track. It was basically to get to your first 1K. And uh, we basically uh, just let people know we were, what we were going to do. And I didn't run any paid traffic to it. It was all organic podcast listeners and stuff. And uh, I said, I was going to take 50 people and we were going to open up on a certain date. And then I let them know a little bit behind the scenes what we were going to teach. It was going to be live a um, few weekends or something like that. And uh, an hour each session and uh, ended up selling uh, the 50 spots in nine minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was a $147 product. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just the buildup, but also you, you got to live up to what you're saying to in your promise, but you also need, we didn't build the product until people bought it. You know, it was a live training. Um, and then you turn it into a digital product. But anyway, going off on a little bit of the digital realm here, because I know that you've been down that path. So was that, what, what were the big things that you feel turned it around? And you said it's kind of basic now. Was it email capture, build up the launch list? Like, what was that? Yeah, you know, so first and foremost, email capture, build out the launch list. You know, giving a lead magnet something of value to get people yep. on the email list. That was first and foremost huge. You know, I went from, so on my website, I was constantly pushing people back from videos. Go check out Shot Mechanics Basketball, free memberships. You know, I had all this stuff going. And I just had, you know, like the little email sign up on the front page when he got there. Yeah. Um, and I was getting probably like three to four email signups a day. Um, okay. You know, so my little MailChimp list was just like, just like slowly <laughs> right. growing. Slow and steady. Uh, yeah, slow, <laughs> slow and definitely slow and, and kind of sort of steady. Um, and so once we implemented kind of, you know, the lead magnet and giving away something of value to get people on the list, 
Um, that literally overnight, once Adam helped me kind of put that system in place, went mm -hmm. from like that three to four emails a day to like 200 to 300 emails a day. Jeez, that's um, awesome. And so the list just started going like gangbusters and that's kind of really where it started. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Jeff with product launch. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the first things Adam said was he was like, hey, here's this book. It was Jeff's book. He was like, check yep. it out, read it, you know, front to back, then read yep. it again. Um, and that's a lot of the stuff that we're going to want to implement inside your business. And, you know, we can help you fine tune it and all that sort of stuff. And, and so sure. it's funny, I, I'm, I'm very well aware of Jeff, love his yeah. stuff. And, you know, at the time, the product launch formula stuff was unbelievable. So a lot of the stuff was that same sort of thing where, mm -hmm. you know, hey, you got to have some sort of scarcity built into it, yep. you know, the free bonuses attached to it, all that sort of stuff. So basically, you know, kind of recreated that. And that's what really kind of springboarded the, the monetization side. So yeah, definitely email capture though. That was huge. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear you say that, the email capture, because we, we really stress on that. And people think email is dead. I, I think mm -hmm. email is freaking still rocking. Awesome. Um, you know, and so I just think that a lot of people don't, they, they just think it's like old old school, like AOL days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh man, I'm telling you. And I've seen it a lot, even on Instagram, people have a, a huge Instagram following. And then I'll see the engagement. And I'm like, it's really not great. You've got a million people and you get a thousand people to actually view or like or whatever. And I'm like, that's terrible numbers. Like that would, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a whole vanity thing, but anyway. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about that. So that was kind of eye opening for you. Um, I always like to kind of get a take action moment for someone where in this line, I know you're going to buy multiple, you know, moments. You're like, holy crap. And we haven't even talked about your TV pro, you know, show that's happening. And I want to dig into that real quick. Yeah. But like, cause that everything that you're doing is leading you there. What was one big thing that you can look back and go, man, if that never happened, I don't know where I'd be. Cause that just changed everything. Is yeah, there something you know, that stands out? Absolutely. I think I, you know, I've said it over and over again. I think, I think the call that I made to Adam to get a business mentor who was somebody not necessarily light years ahead of me, but somebody who was ahead of me on the path. Um, yeah. and really start thinking about things from a marketing standpoint was, was the big, the big turning point. If I didn't do mm. that and I tried to monetize it, you know, I'm a persistent guy. So I would have tried to monetize it two, three, four, five more times. If I didn't sure. figure that out, it probably wouldn't have happened. Right. Mm. Um, so I was lucky enough that for him to see the value in me and also what I was doing that he didn't, he didn't get, you know, kind of nervous be like, Oh, this guy's a competitor. I'm just not going to help him out. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think that that was by far the biggest turning point because at that point in time, I, you know, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have gone back to just, you know, teaching and then tried to figure out something else and then maybe gone into corporate America, you know, cause mm. you know, there's not really a whole lot of money in teaching. Um, right, right, right. and so it's one of those things where I think that was definitely the take action moment because, um, you know, I've always been about collaboration and everybody helping each other and lifting each other up and the basketball space as your son, Scotty is probably well aware. Yep is not really like that most of the time. Uh, mm. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, kind of nervous that somebody else is going to take their, you know, what they've built or their audience or their, you know, ideas or their drills or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in the basketball space, wouldn't have ever reached out to somebody. They would have seen them as competition mm. and been like, I'm just going to beat that guy or whatever. So that, to me, that was the big turning point, that kind of take action moment for sure. Love it, man. I, and I love it that, you know, you actually reached out to someone and you're saying exactly what I've said so many times. It's like deliver value to that other person. Don't ask, you know, Absolutely. I get so many people and I'm sure you do too. Hey, can I come on your channel? Hey, can yeah. I come on your podcast? You know, it's like, wait a minute here. Why don't you reverse it? Like, yeah. look at, listen, I reached out to you to get you on my podcast. I didn't ask to come on your channel. 
right? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't make sense for me to come on your channel. I just want a really good story that I can inspire and motivate people. And also it's in line with what I teach. So why wouldn't I want to do that? Wherever this goes in the future, I don't know, but it's all about the networking and the connection. So it's just so many people do it the opposite way. Yeah. And I think you, it's brilliant. You, you did exactly what you needed to do. And I'm sure you've done that even more because you've got a great network. And I'm, again, I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, the one thing I did notice, and was there anything to this? So we see a lot of people blowing up on YouTube with like doing cover songs, right? For certain artists. Mm -hmm. it, you did a lot of stuff on like Steph and, you know, LeBron. Was there some strategy there for people that want to shoot like LeBron, shoot like this one, shoot like that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was one of the big turning points was when we started doing video breakdowns of professional athletes. So here's yeah. footage of Steph Curry shooting. We're talking about his mechanics. We're talking about where he puts his hand, where, you know, his feet are at. And that mm. was, um, I was kind of the first person, I would say, in all of the internet to start doing that with basketball. Mm. Um, you know, everybody was kind of worried about, uh, copyright infringement and all that sort of stuff. And I did a ton of, I did a ton of research into the fair use side of things and all that sort of jazz. Um, oh, cool. And so that was definitely a major strategy we have was like, Hey, we can get more search volume by attaching a big, you know, athlete's name to whatever, um, sure. you know, whatever content it was. So I actually got to meet Steph Curry this last year, I had dinner with him a couple of times and I thanked oh, him. Nice. I was like, Hey man, like, you made shooting number one cool. And number two, you gave me a career because most of my big <laughs> videos that banged right out of the gate were all Steph Curry videos. Um, and oh, so, yeah, awesome. that was definitely the strategy. It was kind of piggyback, piggybacking off more search terms, bigger mm -hmm. names to kind of do that sort of stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we leaned really heavily into the, you know, Chris Paul crossover video and the Steph Curry shooting video and that sort of stuff. Um, and that still works to this day, you know, on YouTube. It, it's not quite as powerful as it used to be but it's still a pretty decent strategy for, you know, kind of getting in front of more eyeballs. Yeah. I, I love that. That's awesome. I, I figured you were doing that, but I yeah. just wanted to kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to call you out on it and just see if you would admit it, but I mean, you're, you're cool. You, you admitted it. Uh, so, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I always tell people like, I just did a whole setup on my, my live stream, like my camera, my light, my mic and all this stuff. People are going to search for the Sony a 5100. They're going to search for the road. They're going to search for the Procaster. They're going to find my video, right? Like, it's, you got to be strategic about it in a sense. If you're using the product, if you're shooting like Steph Absolutely. or you're trying to, why not? Right? Like why not piggyback well, off of that? Well, and at the end of the day, you know, I always think about it and I think about marketing in the same terms because when I first started marketing felt like kind of sleazy to me, it was kind of sure. like, Oh, I'm just trying to me sell too. something. But when you think about like, if you have a good product marketing sleazy, if you put out trash, right. If yep. you've got like something that doesn't work or, you know, snake oil or whatever, right. Mar then marketing sleazy. Marketing's not sleazy if you have something that actually helps people. So for like, you know, the piggybacking off of athletes' names for the videos and whatnot, it was really good content that people were looking for, that they wanted to see that nobody else was making. And so to me, it wasn't sleazy at all because I was actually just giving people what they wanted and would actually help them out, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in, in shooting instruction, which is kind of my niche that I came up in, sure. um, there was a lot of like old dated, you know, or, or outdated, you know, myths and things in shooting instruction that don't actually make sense that people still teach to this day that if you break down the footage of pro players, they don't actually do, right? Mm. And so, you know, that was kind of a really good way to not only get the information out that people needed, but get it in front of more eyeballs as well. So I saw it as kind of a win-win. And when it comes to like, you know, marketing and videos and kind of all that sort of stuff, I always say like, most of the time you have to, you know, kind of show people what they want and then give them what they need in the back door. So for something mm. like basketball videos, we might title a video, you know, 
four crazy ankle breaking crossover moves to right. embarrass your defender. Cause that's right. what like kids want to see Exactly. But inside the video might be, all right, we're going to do stationary ball pounds that are very fundamentally sound and, and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of building the foundation to be able to do that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit of a push pull of, Hey, you've got to give people what they want, but then on the back end, you give them what they actually need. And that's kind of, you know, what I feel like the recipe for success, especially in kind of the online training space. Oh yeah. I agree with you. You know, not everyone wants the non-sexy version, although exactly. they need it. Like, like for entrepreneurs, they don't really, they don't love talking about mindset, but mindset's a big, big driver. Like you, like you said, you're, there's a lot of times that you were just deflated. How did you get picked up? How did you get remotivated? Uh, and not everyone can do that but it's a huge thing to focus on. You got to focus on it, but you don't, you know, you're not going to get people to click on, you know, learn how to have a successful mindset because then you'll be <laughs> they're like, I don't care about that. I want to make money, man. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So you got to leave, you got to leave with what they want and give them what they need. I, I love that. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Let's move into, uh, cause we could spend days on the uh, YouTube side of things. We might even want to have you come back on and we can even just turn that into a mini training. Cause I love that you're in the trenches on that every single day. Uh, and, and working on that. So you've, you've got something right now that you're really amped up about and you're excited about. And so I, I want to hear about this project, but I also want to hear about how do you get, how do you get the attention of these high level people, right? Yeah. That were, and you can, you, I mean, feel free to name drop like all the people that you're associated with. You're not bragging. It's the truth. Um, and, uh, you know, just let, let us know a little bit about this project and, and where you want to take it and how it even became. Yeah. So about 16 months ago, so um, it all kind of started. I hired a, a buddy of mine, a guy named Duran Guidry to be kind of my uh, marketing branding specialist for shop mechanics. So, um, you know, basically trying to chase down sponsors, you know, monetize videos, all that sort of stuff. It's like a full-time job to do in yourself. And he had been working with a lot of professional athletes doing the same sort of thing, getting them brand deals with, you know, Gatorade or, you know, whatever, whatever kind of brand deals come down the pipe. Sure. Um, and so he approached me to, for a product that one of his athletes was endorsing. It was like a shooting aid product. Um, and then once he kind of started looking at the YouTube landscape, he was like, Hey, like, like, how are you getting brand deals? I was like, ah, I just kind of get them every now and again. Somebody emails me and he's like, well, well, if I, if I get you some brand deals, like, can we do a, do kind of a, a partnership? I was like, Hey, for sure. So that's yeah. where Duran and I's kind of connection started. So he was big in kind of the athlete space. I was big, in the, big in the digital media space. Um, and so this idea for Players TV, which is our new media company that we just launched about a month ago, um, you know, really started about 16 months. You know, it was, it was about 16 months ago when we really kind of started to work on it and develop a plan. And basically what we wanted to do was um, allow distribution for athlete lifestyle content. So mm. the conversations first kind of started around some virtual training and like, how do we do that with pros and kind of the same stuff that Shot Mechanics does. Um, but then the more athletes we talked to, the more of them were like, hey, that's cool, but I've got a documentary I want to make. Or, hey, that's cool, oh. but I have this reality series that I want to do. Or I have this documentary that I made, but nobody will buy it and all that sort of stuff. And we kept hearing mm -hmm. that over and over again. And so we were like, hey, how can we really kind of change athlete distribution, especially because more and more athletes are starting production companies, more and more athletes are wanting to do kind of the media side of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of what led us down the path of, path of Players TV. So um, oh, wow. basically we were like, it would be awesome if players had their own TV channel that then they could, you know, put their documentaries, their reality shows, their, you know, video podcasts, whatever it is, and really kind of take control of their content. Because in the ecosystem, you know, when we first started the project, it was basically like, hey, the top one 1% of athletes, the Steph Curry's, the LeBron James of the world, those guys get to sell their shows to HBO, Netflix. For everybody else, if you want to make some sort of content, you kind of just got to throw it up on YouTube. 
right? And right. so from a monetization standpoint, it's just not sustainable because if an athlete's not a full-time content creator, you know, you might get 3 million views on your video you put on YouTube, even if it's like great, you might make like six grand, right? So right. for athletes, right. Right. you know, the monetization is just not there. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we saw over and over again from these athletes where they make something cool, they put it on YouTube, it wouldn't get very many views. They do it again, wouldn't get very many views and they quit. Kind of the same, the same you yeah. know, stuff that we talked about earlier with shop mechanics. Yeah. Um, so basically we're like, hey, we got to solve this athlete monetization side of the problem. So that was kind of like the first problem we solved. The second problem we wanted to solve was as fans, we're kind of fragmented across way too many platforms for athlete, you know, lifestyle content. So, you know, there's shows that go on HBO and Showtime and now Quibi and Netflix and Facebook. And, you know, basically there's like 20 different spots that athlete content goes and you just kind of have no idea where it's at. It's not all in one good spot. And then at the same time, you just end up missing a lot of good stuff that you'd want to see. You know, sure. think about like the last dance documentary, the one on ESPN, yep. fantastic piece. What if that went on a platform that you didn't even know about, right? Or that mm -hmm. you didn't happen to be on and you just missed it. So basically we're like, hey, we're going to solve two sides of the, of the ecosystem. Number one, the athlete monetization actually make it worthwhile to make content. And number two, the fan, you know, fragmentation allow everything to be under one roof. So as a fan, you're not having to catch things, you know, in random spots and random locations. Um, so that's kind of where the, where the idea of the Genesis was born was like, hey, how can we, you know, not only make this super authentic to athletes, but also solve the problem for fans as well. Mm. It's, it's fantastic. And I do think about that, even, even with The Last Dance, like we were, we recorded it and stuff, but then we were looking for an episode and I'm like, it's on ESPN, but it says it's Netflix. I'm not like really sure, but it would have been nice to be able to go to that one, that one place. Right. I think of yeah. like the yes network for like the Yankees. I'm a Yankee fan. So it's like, I don't get that here anymore. Cause I'm in South Carolina. I used to be in New York and it's like, I miss that. It was all dedicated to just Yankee stuff. Yeah. But even just having like something that, like you said, not for just the big celebs, but for, you know, not, not, not that they're not still doing well. They just don't get the same attention that the mm -hmm. others do. Um, so I really love that idea. So as far as like a monetization side for the players, what would that look like? Is there a standard thing or is it uh, that people would pay for a subscription and then they would get a portion of that? Like, how does that get monetized? Yeah. So we have the thing that makes us different, kind of the secret sauce that I can't like fully reveal is the monetization sure. mechanisms sure. on the back end. So, you know, if you think about the way most athlete content happens, you know, an athlete makes a documentary, they make a show, whatever it is, you know, basically you can only monetize it. A, you can sell it to a premium outlet like an HBO or Facebook watch might buy it or something like that. Very, very few opportunities there. Um, and then the second option is to try to put a brand deal with it, integrate some sort of brand product, and then put it up on YouTube or on social media, right? Sure. Um, the problem is it's kind of a chicken or the egg scenario where if you're a brand and you say, okay, you know, so-and-so athlete, I will give you $150,000 to, you know, uh, essentially sponsor this video. Where's it going to live? If the athlete says, well, just on my social that I can guarantee 20,000 views and just on YouTube where it might get, you know, 20,000 views or whatever, it just doesn't make sense for a brand. So really it's mm. kind of this chicken or the egg scenario where you need a big audience on YouTube to monetize. But to get the big audience on YouTube, you have to be working at it at a very consistent pace for a long time, um, mm. which because athletes aren't full-time content producers is almost right. impossible. Mm. Um, you look at somebody like Juju Smith-Schuster of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's somebody who's doing it like that. Um, very, okay. very difficult. So mm. for us, we were like, hey, what if we can take this one piece of content that an athlete makes and then be able to monetize it five, six, seven, eight different times? And so that's when we mm -hmm. really figured out that the distribution is the key to monetization, not the actual content itself, right? 
we've heard a bazillion times, content is king, content is king, content is king. And it is, but just like shot mechanics when I first started, without any eyeballs, it's worth nothing, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how good a show is or how good a documentary is if nobody gets to see it. Um, And so basically what we decided to do when we started Players TV was focus on content second. Don't even worry about content out of the gate, but really focus on distribution first and kind of lay the foundation so once we have content, it can actually get viewership and eyeballs. Um, So that's kind of really where the the monetization side of things took place was, hey, let's solve the distribution first, and then we'll figure out the content second. Um, You know, we always like to kind of equate it to, to, we're like Uber, right? Mm -hmm. We're not trying to shoot a bunch of content, make original series, do all that sort of stuff. We're kind of the overarching platform that is helping distribute the content, whereas the content producers and the fans are more like the Uber drivers and the Uber riders, right? Um, just trying to provide the framework for it all to work and not necessarily, you know, kind of actually make the stuff. Mm. So essentially you're really trying to, uh, build up the audience so that way they don't have to, and then they're going to be able to show up, have the audience, but then also the monetization would be on the back end. Yep. Pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So you've been, you, you've been public now for a month. Is that what yep. you said? So the About time of airing this? Yes. How are things going and how are you getting attention? Is it just going on all of your different people that you've kind of brought in on this to kind of share and everybody's kind of collabing together? How are we getting, how are we getting eyeballs on that? Yeah, great question. So, you know, when we first started this, the whole point, we were like the, the way we can win with this company and really, you know, create something that's, that's never been done before is if we can get mass group collection, right? If we can mm-hmm. get athletes to get mass buy-in, and really kind of support it, then that's kind of the first and most important step. So basically every decision we've made in the company over the last 16 months has literally always been what's best for athletes, what's best for athletes. And then the second kind of sub question we always ask is what's best for fans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, we have a very lucrative monetization model for the athletes. So first and foremost, it's different than anything they've ever seen before. You know, they've Mm -hmm. all been pitched a million different things where Somebody's essentially trying to use them to make money, right? So we wanted to make right. sure we weren't doing anything like that. Um, and then from there, we kind of started very organically with kind of the network of athletes we had, had that very organically spread out to the athletes they knew. Um, and so, you know, really trying to go after also athletes that are kind of influencers within their own kind of athletic community. So, um, you know, thought leaders, businessmen and women, um, you know, kind of in the athlete community that really a lot of other athletes looked up to. So, mm-hmm. you know, for like our kind of initial athletes that are on the team, we've got guys like, you know, Chris Paul, um, Kyrie Irving, we're announcing this week is coming on board. Vernon wow. um, Davis on the NFL side, Trevor Bauer in the MLB. Um, I mean, we got uh, CJ McCollum, who's a big kind of media guy in the NBA as well. Um, you know, and, and we've got about between, uh, I want to say about 20 athletes on board right now for a variety wow. of sports. Definitely heavier in the NBA side of things, uh, Carmelo sure. Anthony. Um, and so basically tried to, you know, show, show athletes like, hey, this is why it's important, not only for you and your business and your production, but also for the future generations of athletes that are wanting to do, you know, production and content and all that sort of stuff. You know, how can you help us shape what we're doing so we can kind of mold the future for athlete content? So you'll notice a lot of the guys that bought in, you know, the Chris Pauls, the Carmelo Anthony's, the Kyrie Irving's of the world. All these guys are very kind of group collective based. I want to say we have like 85% of the, um, of the NBPA, so the, the Players Association with the NBA. I want to say we have about 85% of their board members are a part of our wow. company. Um, wow. And so really we're looking for, you know, guys and athletes that are really involved in the group collective. And so that's kind of that's how we laid the foundation. And because of that, 
now their connections have helped us and kind of build out that strategic, you know, kind of growth that direction. So my question is, is because this happens all the time with entrepreneurs, right? We have a hundred different projects going on. Uh, how does this work with you with Shop Mechanics and then this project? Is it tough balancing the two? Uh, how much time are you devoting to one or the, than the other? It, are you finding it uh, a struggle or, or, or are you feeling like, yeah, everything's kind of good. I'm not the only one doing it. So I can kind of, you know, kind of be hands off. Yeah, you know, it was really hard at the start when we were first starting to do a ton of time and energy in the project, but Shop Mechanics wasn't in a place to kind of be, you know, left and, and set and forget. Uh, it was really difficult. So since then, I've put some measures in place, hired a couple more people for Shop Mechanics. So it's pretty much on autopilot for me. Um, pretty much all I do on Shop Mechanics now is just get in front of a camera one day, you know, for a few hours each month yep. and shoot it up and then it kind of just goes into the process and they do it. You know, uh, revenue has slipped on the Shop Mechanics side. I knew mm. it would you know, you take your hand off the wheel, it's definitely going to happen. So, you sure. know, definitely a hundred percent of my focus is on the players TV side, um, mm. you know, because that's kind of the, the, the big next opportunity and the thing that I'm most excited about. And, you know, with something like shop mechanics, it was really fun. It was a great way to cut my teeth in the industry and mm. learn marketing, learn digital media, learn social media, you know, kind of all that sort of stuff. And I always kind of, you know, I think about it as, as kind of school that I got paid to do. Um, oh, because yeah. a lot of the same stuff that I learned in that ecosystem is directly, you know, responsible for the success we've had with Players TV and, and my co-founder, Duran Guidry, who's the guy who started it with me. So um, it's definitely, you know, it, it's funny when you look at, you know, you said the uh, take action, you know, yeah. Um, moments. Yeah. For me, it's really been this like kind of interesting path where like one thing has happened that led to another thing that led to another thing that led to another thing that if the first thing didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be there, right? 100%. Even down to the going to Washington State for industrial design that they didn't actually have industrial design got me into the graphics and, you know, graphic design stuff, which then helped me have yeah. the YouTube channel, which then helped me get Adam to take me on as a client, which then helped, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like a waterfall effect. So, um, you know, it's, it is interesting how that, that one kind of action can lead to that butterfly effect down the line. Yeah, no, you've laid it out perfectly. Uh, and again, we, I think we all can trace our steps back to one thing, to the next thing. Uh, and it was funny because uh, whenever you're going through it, you're just like, oh, I don't know what that next thing is. I've, I've been doing this for a while. I mean, you've been doing shop mechanics for how long? Eight, nine years? Yeah. So officially started in like 2011, I think I filed for the, you know, the, the LLC and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then took that year off to model, remodel the house. So it was pretty much like 2000, <laughs> early 2013 is when I really started going, going full on it. And I think I went full time in 2014. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like you, you put all this time in never thinking you're going to be, you know, doing what you're doing now on this new project, yeah. right. With all of these people. But if you hadn't did that, you never would have been led to that. For right. Sure. And, and not now you're fired up again. You're like fired up about this new thing. And I think it's always like, we don't know where we are going to be in five years or 10 years, but we do need to have that new. And for me, it always seems like every five to seven years, it's like, there's mm -hmm. something new that comes and I'm like, there it is. I've, I see it. And my wife's always like, yes, that's the next thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. trust the gut. You know, we've made a lot of leaps. It's always the leap of faith. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting on how it all works when you trace back the steps. So what would you, what would you say to someone right now that's listening? That's just like, you know, I, I just don't think that I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but I, I want to do, you know, whatever their passion is or whatever they're interested in. Would you say that, would you say that there's still opportunity out there for them to do what they, what they want to do versus doing what they think they have to do? Yeah, you know, I think there, there's, there's always opportunity. And what's nice about the, the world we live in is that if you, 
if you're willing to like work hard and also work smart at the same time, I mean, you can, you can make it anywhere. I mean, there's still people who have fantastic businesses on Facebook. There's still people who can have fantastic businesses on YouTube. You know, the one thing to keep in mind too is to have a really nice business. You don't really need that many followers depending on the niche or depending on what you're doing. I think personally, basketball training is probably the worst niche on the planet. Like I've, <laughs> I've literally, I've literally heard of people that do, you know, quilting classes that, that kill yep. it more than, more than the virtual, you know, basketball training stuff does. And it's just, it's a really tough market for a variety of reasons. So, you know, I know I was talking to a kid that I used to train, his dad kind of got into the YouTube and he's doing like insurance, personal finance stuff. He's got, I want to say like 12,000 subscribers or something like that on YouTube, oh, wow. but he's nice. absolutely killing it from a full-time um, you know, kind of living perspective so much so that he left his normal, you know, kind of nine to five job. And it's all because it's in like this different niche. So I think a lot of people get kind of uh, a little bit confused in how big of a following or how, you know, mm. successful you have to be frontward facing to actually make a job or a career out of it. Mm. Um, you know, in most niches and industries, you don't really need that many people as far as like the overall numbers to be successful. Um, you know, I know, I know a, a yoga company that has, I want to say a quarter of the subscribers that I do and their revenue is far, far, far more impressive than what we do at Shop Mechanics. So mm. it's, it's just one of those things where the niches and the industries are all going to be different. And so who says that what you're an expert in can't be monetized in a very big way and, and a, very, a very good way that can help a lot of people at the same time. You know? Exactly. Yeah, make that impact. And I think uh, that's, we all want to feel a sense of purpose. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th I think there are opportunities out there. I think people just, they get stuck on not knowing if it's the right thing that they're going to be able to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know. So um, I, I appreciate you coming on, man, and sharing all of the, uh, all the insights, all of your story. We'll definitely have to have you come back on and see how the project's doing. Uh, and see now that it's a month old and we'll see how it's doing. Um, where can people find out more about you and, and even your, your projects? So this way here, we can hopefully get you uh, a few more uh, listeners and subscribers. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're into basketball and basketball training, Shop Mechanics Basketball on YouTube is probably the best, best place to find us. We have 700 plus videos that are all really good. And so if you like shooting and basketball instruction, that's definitely probably your first stop. Um, if you're more interested in kind of like the digital media uh, side of stuff and kind of the marketing side of stuff, I would definitely probably follow Players TV. We're at the Players TV on Instagram. Um, you know, that's kind of where my sole focus is at. And we're doing a lot of really, really cool stuff in the space. We last month launched on a platform called Samsung TV Plus, which is basically free television that comes on all new Samsung oh, wow. TVs. So we're currently wow. in about 35 million homes. Um, so we had some really, really wow. impressive kind of launch numbers in the last month. And and getting ready to have the channel distributed on um, a bunch of other distributors as well that you, you know, most people will have in their houses. So um, yeah, I'd say basketball stuff, shop mechanics, check it out. We got a lot of cool stuff still going on over there. If you're more into kind of the marketing, digital media side of stuff, then definitely check out our stuff over at Players TV because we got, uh, we got a few really big announcements. We're dropping, I think, next week. Um, and uh, nice. yeah, as far as the company goes, that's the one that's, that's really exciting. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I'm so glad my son reached out to you. Yeah. And uh, he said, I think he'd be a great fit for your show. And you absolutely rocked it. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And uh, stay in touch. Keep me posted on the, uh, on the numbers and stuff. And if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. But uh, thanks so much, man. I truly appreciate it. Good luck to everything that you're, that you're doing now. Will do. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Always, always happy to talk and educate and, you know, inspire people at the bare minimum. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. I wasn't kidding, right? That was an amazing 
interview that I did with Colin. And I'm going to be following back up with him because I know he is going to be constantly changing and pivoting. And the crazy thing is, if you listen to his story, you can see he started with one thing that led him to another thing that led him to now the project that he's working on in the current times, right? Like right now. So I want you to understand that whatever you're doing right now doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the thing that you do in five years from now or 10 years. You are learning the skill set to take you to your next place, your next part in the journey or your next stop along the journey. So always remember that. And again, I got off with him afterwards and we just jammed on a whole bunch of things, YouTube. And what I want to do is I want to have him back on and really focus more of the conversation on maybe a training session where he can give us some knowledge about what he has learned over the years about YouTube because it has changed. And he told me subscribers are great, but just good videos are actually the main thing that you should be focusing on. And also, you should be thinking about what your market wants and needs and also showing up consistently. He said that over and over again. He even said it inside of that interview that I had with him. So make sure you go back and listen, take some notes, but also this is there to inspire you and motivate you to get out there and take your own action on your own business and your own life. All right, guys. So that's it for this episode. As always, remember, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud, take action. Have an awesome, amazing day. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode. Now go rock your brand.